Hey guys, welcome to That Florida Feeling. How is everybody? Happy Friday. I hope everybody's had a good week. I know I have. Thank you to everybody who has liked, subscribed, and interacted with the Facebook and Instagram and Twitter pages. I don't think I'm going to do the TikTok anymore. This is, I don't think TikTok's my thing, guys. I don't, I, maybe I'm old. Maybe I just don't get it. Maybe it's just not for me. I'm just, I don't think I'm going to keep the That Florida Feeling TikTok. I mean, if you guys like it, let me know, but I don't, um, I just don't feel that it's my thing. I'm not going to lie to you. So I'm probably not going to keep that one. But of course, the Facebook page and group uh, are still around. Thank you to Tammy for posting on the page. That was really cool. Um, I appreciate the fact that you guys are interacting with other on, each other on there. That's really cool. That was my goal for it. Thank you to people who participated in the polls and questions. I'm glad that we mostly all believe in ghosts and that we mostly all agree that peanut butter goes with chocolate. That's why we love Reese's. No, at least I do. Um, I always go buy the little shaped ones. Like right now, there's the pumpkins. And I just bought a really cool little bag that had pumpkins, bats, and ghosts in it that were really cute. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that we all agree that chocolate and peanut butter just go together. Did you guys enjoy the Haunted Gainesville episode? I hope you did. It was really fun to talk about. I learned some new things. I hope you guys did too. So it is now September. Feels like this year has just flown by. I don't know about you guys. Um, but it just, it does. I don't know. It's weird this year. So yeah, happy September. And we're going to talk about something that is a little more outdoor friendly, even though it's still 90,000 degrees outside in Florida and the rainy season. Maybe you have that random off day where it's not rained yet, or it's going to rain later in the day, or you got one lucky day where it's only a 20% chance of rain. This is some cool places where you can check out. And of course, I am referring to some Florida State Parks. I know I've done, I think this is my fourth or fifth one of these, but there are so many state parks in Florida. It's a really, really huge system. They really take care of them. There's a lot of fun places to explore. There's history. There's mermaids, there's boat wrecks, shipwrecks, there's snorkeling, there's beaches. So, and of course, there's nature. Today, we're going to talk about some really fun ones that you can explore in the cooler times, because they, of course, all, most all state parks are open uh, 365 days a year. So to start it off, we're going to talk about the Fred Gannon Rocky Bayou State Park. This is actually located up in the Panhandle. It's in Niceville. And it's a really beautiful area. I'll tell you a little bit about the history of it. Um, the land that it sits on was actually ceded or given to the War Department by the U.S. Forestry Service in 1940. And it's 800 square miles of Gulf Coast shoreline. Just all of it is on the shoreline. And Pine Forest became a major site for gunnery and bombing practices during World War II. Of course, it was also a little more uh, deserted than other parts where they could do the testing. So that's why this part became a really good area for them to, to do practice. And of course, remnants of test bombs from the Lieutenant Colonel James Doolittle's B-25 squadron following the attack on Pearl Harbor are believed to exist somewhere in the park. And a concrete bomb is thought to have once been dropped by his squadron. So after the war, because... You know, thankfully the war ended. Um, urban development started to happen in that area. That's near the Fort Walton Beach, Dustin, Okaloosa Island area. So, you know, things started to happen. 
and people wanted to move in the area. They liked the area. I could agree. It's one of the more beautiful areas in Florida. So they decided that these, uh, this urban development made the area a little too unsuitable for a bombing range, rightfully so. So in the late 1950s, Colonel Fred Gannon, director of civil engineering at Eglin Air Force Base, which is in Fort Walden, proposed to convert the range into a public area. And the engineering group began the initial construction of the park under his direction following his proposed designs for this park. And in 1966, English guys, English, in 1966, shortly after the completion of road and trail work, the lands were purchased by the state and became part of the Florida State Park System. So that's really cool. It's actually a really pretty area. Um, the park, of course, is open 8 a.m. to sundown, 365 days a year. And they do have places where you can camp. It's $5 per vehicle, $4 if you're a single occupant vehicle, and $2 if you're going to bike, have extra passengers over eight people, or um, walk in the park. I've never walked into a state park. Sorry, I just realized that. If you're going to camp, it's $16 a night, plus $670 is non-refundable reservation fee. And then if you have an RV, it's an extra $7 nightly fee. So that's kind of cool. There also is a boat ramp you can use, and that's a $5 fee. And I'm going to tell you about all these amenities right now. Um, it is a really beautiful area. Um, it's really, there's like beautiful landscape because it does sit right on the, the waterfront. So you can just sit and relax and watch the water. Um, and you're shaded by some longleaf pines. And they believe some of those longleaf pines have been there over 300 years. And of course, the water is its centerpiece, the Rocky Bayou. And it's a trailing arm of the Choctawatchee Bay. Ooh, I got that right. And so, of course, this is really popular for boating and fishing, um, as well as camping, and even watching the sunset from this bay. So what is this park known for? Of course, you have bicycles. We talked about they had some paved roads. So there's actually three miles of paved roads. So that's really cool. You can bike uh, quite a while, then you can sit and relax by the water. I told you that there was a boat ramp with a fee, but you can... Um, actually launch into either Rocky Bayou, the Choctawatchee Bay, or the Gulf of Mexico. They actually have two boat ramps that let you do that, so that's kind of cool. And then the camping. Um, it's actually an excellent place to camp, and it's actually got a really nice camping facility, and it's located near the nature trails and the picnic pavilion. It actually has 42 clean, shady, spacious sites that you can either tent or RV camp. Um, they do have access to water and electricity. There's picnic tables, fire rings, and, of course, some have a water view, so if you're going to reserve one, you might as well go for that spot. Go big or go home. Well, don't go home. I mean, enjoy the park, but you know what I mean. Um, and, of course, they have a bathhouse. They also have ADA-accessible um, sites, which is really cool. They, they do have laundry and vending machines as well, which I thought was really kind of cool. Um, I guess people want to camp there for a while. I mean, that actually sounds fun. Maybe that'll be something I do for our next trip, next vacation. Sorry, planning my own things here. Uh, of course, I talked about fishing. The freshwater stream feeds the tidal influence Rocky Bayou. So you can actually do different varieties of fishing. Um, saltwater fish can be caught in the bayou, and freshwater fish can be caught at Rocky Creek, which flows into the bay. And then some of the more common fish are going to be mullet, trout, and flounder. You do have to have a fishing license, and you do have to remember that uh, if at certain times you have to 
adhere to size requirements, how many you get in this season. So just remember that when fishing. Geostaking is really cool. I'm really, I think this is so cool. I've read a lot about this, especially during the state parks. And I think it's cool uh, where they hide the trinkets and then you find them. I, I don't know. I just think that's really cool. That's something new to get into. And of course, like I said, there's hiking. Um, the Red Cedar Trail is home to an impressive red cedar trees along with many other varieties of plants, shrubs, and trees. That's one of the trails. There's the Sand Pine Trail, which follows the eastern shore of Puddinhead Stream. Y'all, that's, that's the name of the stream, Puddinhead Stream. This stream is unique to the area, and it shows, um, well, there's a fragile ecosystem around it. So there's several species of aquatic plants, such as the pitcher plants and the Florida anise that you can actually see on this trail, which is really cool. And then there's the Rocky Bayou Trail, which is adjacent to the Sand Pine Trail. And the return loop of this trail follows the shoreline of the bayou. So if you're looking for something beautiful to just meander beside the water, that's definitely the trail for you. But of course, the park shoreline is home to uh, the a very fragile ecosystem, and that's the estuarine seagrass beds. Um, you can see dolphins and otters and migrant fowls playing in this area, as well as the rare trumpeter swan. And occasional sightings of bald eagles also make this a really cool trail. So if you're definitely going to go and walk a trail, do the one by the bayou. You never know what you're going to see. And of course, you can always bring a caillou. Caillou. I have just made up a new, <laughs> a new word, y'all. A canoe or a kayak or even a paddleboard. You can actually rent uh, canoes or kayaks from the park. And you can explore the actual bayou from the water. Um, so it's really cool. Just remember that this is a delicate aquatic preserve, so be careful. Um, you might even see, again, those dolphins or otters or the migrant fowl and the trumpeter swans so that you can see it from the water and give you a different view. Um, it's kind of tranquil, kind of something fun to do. And, of course, they have pavilions uh, with barbecue grills. You can um, definitely enjoy lunch with family or friends. You cannot drink in the park. It is prohibited. But you can still enjoy the time with friends and family. Um, you can even hold a wedding or other special event in this uh, park. I think that's kind of cool. Of course, wildlife viewing is possible at the park. And they do have uh, accessible amenities. So there's the four accessible campsites as well as uh, restrooms, picnic facilities, and tables and grills that are all ADA accessible. So that's really cool that they've thought of everybody. Um, pets are permitted, so don't forget to bring your furry friend. Uh, you can use them in the day use or the camping area. You cannot take the pets, though, to the beaches in the buildings or in the bathing areas. But, you know, sometimes you just want to bring your furry friend and walk around the trail. That's totally cool. And, of course, there's a playground for kids, right? Something for everybody. It's just really, it's a really cool park that's really beautiful and takes in its history and really shows off the nature of the, excuse me, the beauty of the nature in the area. It's actually a pretty big park. Um, if you pull up the actual um, map that you can get from the website, they have a lot of stuff. They have a lot of stuff you can do that I just told you about. And I mean, you know, I was looking, I was looking at the trails before I was talking to you guys about them. Um, the Sandpine Trail is a mile alone, so that's kind of cool. If you really want something to do, get your exercise in and see some nature, definitely check out the Fred Gannon Rocky Bayou State Park. 
It just looks like an absolutely beautiful place to go and explore for the day. The next park I'm going to talk about is one that I'm actually really, I'm excited about it, but I'm sad about it at the same time, and I'll, I'll explain in a second. And if you, as soon as you hear the name, if you've heard, seen anything about Florida or even the page, you'll know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the De Leon, De Leon, De Leon, De Leon Springs State Park. And it's about, the, the website always says it's 6,000 years of cultural and natural history in one stunning location. And it's, of course, in De Leon Springs, Florida, which is again in the panhandle. Open 365 days a year. Um, and you get to experience Florida with the recreational swimming area and a beautiful, fascinating history. And I'll give you a little history on this one. Um, so the native people known as the Mayaca lived here for at least 6,000 years before uh, the Spanish arrived. And of course, Pedro Menendez, the founder of St. Augustine, described the Mayaca after an encounter um, towards Lake George in 1566. And then again, they to, he encountered them in the further late 1500s. This also led to Spanish missions established in the area. So the Mayaca roamed this area and set up their uh, dwellings and, you know, lived their peaceful life. And the Spanish encountered them, of course, the Spanish does in most of Florida. And, you know, everything kind of existed. And then England took possession of Florida for those 20 years, and they didn't occupy this area. They just left it to be. But when Spain regained control in 1783, the land grants were given to the U.S. citizens, starting with William Williams. All right, y'all could have at least been a little bit, you know. I could just imagine how that goes. The dad, I want to name him William. And the mom's like, well, our last name is Williams. You, you know, you could just see something like that. Sorry. So William Williams had 2,020 acres here, along with the first enslaved Africans, and he named his property Spring Garden Plantation. And subsequent owners further developed the plantation, planting cotton and sugar cane. Sugar cane is actually a huge thing in Florida. John James Audubon even visited the plantation in 1832 to explore the waterways and paint the limpkin. And, of course, the first water-powered sugar mill in Florida was built at this plantation in 1832. You can actually see some of the brickwork in the machinery, and it's behind the restaurant. And if you go to the restaurant, you probably have seen it. And in 1835, Seminole Indians actually attacked the plant and destroyed the mill, stealing the slaves and cattle. Go Indians. Um, of course, the Seminoles were driven out of the area two years later, uh, and the mill was rebuilt in 1849 and continued to produce cotton and sugar. But, you know, Civil War happens, and during the Civil War, Union troops, hearing that the owner was uh, providing supplies to the Confederate Army, just destroyed the plantation. And this happened in Bernie's Raid, so plantation was destroyed thanks to the Union troops and then by the late 1800s the Spring Garden became a tourist destination with a steamboat and railroad providing transportation to the area. Now remember this area was not well um, oh, populated. I was like there is a word I am looking for. It was not well populated so it, you know they would get people but they wouldn't be there all the time and so then it, it kind of became its own tourist attraction. Um, they changed it from Spring Garden to Ponce de Leon Springs to refer to the Fountain of Youth, um, just in hopes to get more tourists. And it did. It took off. Um, the Ponce de Leon Springs Hotel and Casino was built in 1925. By the way, a casino does not refer to gambling at this time. 
The casino refers to a large room for events and dining. So think of a really large restaurant, not the casino that we think of these days. Um, and the hotel only really had 14 rooms, so it catered to the wealthiest northern visitors. And the property actually became one of 100 roadside attractions in the state when it opened as the Ponce de Leon Springs in 1953. It featured tropical gardens, a jungle cruise, a tram tour, and even a water skiing elephant. As much as I want to see that, I feel that there is just some animal cruelty in that. So, no. But interstate highways moved people away from the area, air travel became a thing, and all of this caused the attraction to close after 16 years. The property was operated as a private recreational park until 1982 when the state of Florida and Volusia County purchased those 55 acres that are now known as the De Leon Springs State Park. The additional land protecting the springs resulted in the park's current size of over 625 acres. Now, this is a unique park as there is a lot of different things that you can do on it, but there's also home to a restaurant. And the restaurant is the Sugar Mill Restaurant. Now, the Sugar Mill Restaurant is amazing. It's located in a 100-year-old replica of the 1830 Sugar Mill and features, own cook your, features a cook-your-own pancake at your table, freshly made bread and cookies. And it is just an adorable little place with some amazing food. I, I think this is a, just a great place. Um, you cook your own pancakes. You get to sit in an old building. You get to visit a really cool park. Um, if you do want to go to the restaurant, you have to do. You do have to go. Um, you do have to go pay the park insurance entrance fee. English, y'all, English. Um, and it's a really, really cool place, but. You only have 10 days left to visit. After 61 years, the old Spanish, old Spanish sugar mill will be closing its screen doors. The state has decided not to renew their contract, and they're going to do a different concession in De Leon Springs State Park. I think that's crap. Um, I'm sure it's very busy. I'm sure the wait times are completely long right now. But if you have time in the next 10 days, go check this place out. Go buy a bag of coffee. Go get your patch. Go enjoy those pancakes because that is a true treasure. And I'm actually really mad at the Florida State Parks for knowing that this place is amazing and just not renewing their lease. But if you go after the 12th, there are still some really cool things to do at the park. Um, there's actually, uh, the park is actually part of the Great Florida Birding and Wildlife Trail. So you can see lots of nature and birding. Um, wading birds are always present in the spring garden run. Walk the nature trail or the wild persimmon hiking trail to see all the species. Bald eagles can even seen, be seen nesting in the nearby Lake Woodruff National Wild Refuge and fishing in the spring garden run. You can actually find a bird list at the park. Of course, they do have a boat tour, which is really cool. So you can see the springs. It's a 50-minute eco-history boat tour on spring garden run. And you can see a lot of uh, wildlife and learn about the area. You do have to make a reservation. Um, there has to be eight people required for a tour, but it's still a really, really cool little thing you can do as part of the thing. Um, it's actually called the Fountain of Youth Eco-History Tours. And you get to see all the birds, you get to see the lake, you get to learn about the area. Um, it's they said it's about 50 minutes to an hour. I just think it's cool because it's another way to see the park from a different point of view. Of course, if you have your own boat, that's great. You can, you can bring it. 
The Spring Garden Run starts at the park and connects to the St. Johns River, a little bit distance of 10 miles. And you can bring your own boat. Just know that there are manatees between the park and Lake Woodruff. So, um, you know, try not, to, try not to hurt one of Florida's majestical creatures. They don't let jet skis, but you can kayak, paddleboard, and canoe. You can also fish. Um, fishing is permitted in the Spring Garden Run and from the pier. Snatch hooks and cast nuts, though, are not allowed on the property. Freshwater fishing license, you do have to have that. But, you you know, it's common to see a lot of fish in this property, especially with the area, especially since it does connect the lake to the river eventually, or the, yeah, to the river eventually. So you never know what you're going to catch in this one. Um, but, of course, if fishing's not for you, maybe hiking is. The Dillion Springs State Park offers a half-mile wheelchair-accessible paved nature trail with interpretive signs, which I think is cool. I like the interpretive signs because it lets you know exactly what you're looking at. Of course, the trail passes through a flood, flood, English, English is not working this morning, a floodplain forest where you can see many different kinds of trees such as cypress, hardwoods, and other plants native to this area. There is to be believed to be a cypress tree that is more than 600 years old on this trail. I think that's cool. Also, the park does offer an all-terrain wheelchair if you, if you want one or you want to use one, um, just ask about it at the ranger station, which I think is really cool. Again, I also told you there was a wild persimmon hiking trail. It is four miles, and it will take you through several different communities. This is really where you get to see the birds and the nature and the wildlife. And please remember that this is black bear country, so don't be surprised if you see one. Um, also, parts of the trail can flood. It is Florida. Biting insects are common, so appropriate clothing and footwear and off are recommended. You also have to register at the ranger station if you are going to hike the four-mile loop, which I think is probably smart. Again, there is canoeing, kayaking, and paddleboarding. <clears throat> the Spring State Park provides access to the Lake Woodruff National Wildlife Refuge, uh, and you can explore 22,000 acres of lakes, creeks, and marshes, and you can also rent them uh, from the park. Again, if you don't want to go to the restaurant or the restaurant's closed when you get there, they also provide picnic tables and grills, first come, first serve. Have a nice hamburger hot dog while you're watching the birds do their thing or just the, be at the peace of the water. Fun fact, you can also scuba dive at this state park. Um, instructional diving is permitted, and... So if you're learning how to scuba dive, maybe this would be the current, the cool place to learn. Um, all artifacts and springs cannot be disturbed. You can't use a metal detector, but you can learn to scuba dive here, which I think is really cool. But if you're not into scuba diving, there's always snorkeling. Um, snorkeling is permitted in the swimming area only and not in the spring run due to boats and alligators. Okay, alligators are literally everywhere in Florida. What are they going to do? See the swimming area and be like, oh, can't go there. Sorry. That was, sorry. All right. Anyway, so if you snorkel, you can see the artifacts that are in the spring. And you can free dive, uh, but not into the caves. And why are you going to free dive? All right. Anyways. So, yeah, you can swim. Uh, you can swim from 8 and 8 a.m. until half an hour before the sunset, uh, which is when the park closes. Usually the springs maintain that 72 degrees, which is awesome in Florida. And it's anywhere from 18 inches to 30 feet deep. So, life jackets are good. 
There's no lifeguards, so swim at your own risk. You cannot take the pets in the area. And if there's lightning, you cannot swim. Well, no. Okay. All right. I forgot. People still swim with lightning. That just amazes me. So say you don't want to get wet. You can still view the wildlife. Um, You can use the walkways across the springs. You can do the trails. And you'll see anything from a range of otters, alligators, manatees, ospreys, bald eagles, sandhill cranes, and don't be surprised if you see a wild hog or a black bear. It is bear country. And, of course, look for turtles uh, as you watch the... Um, as you watch the water. Oh, bobcats, y'all. Bobcats. Don't be surprised if you see a bobcat in the area. I forgot. Bobcats are in northern Florida. Actually, bobcats are in all of Florida, and pumers are in south Florida. So, of course, this is ADA accessible, so there is a swimmer chair lift for the swimming area, uh, all-terrain and standard wheelchairs, paved trails, um, video with captioning in the visitor center, um, so it's really cool. Uh, and they even allow, you know, they help out for people who need that for the picnic pavilions are set up for that. The boat tour is set up for that. You can access the fishing pier. So I think it's great. Um, again, there is the boat ramp and the, the kayak launch. Um, I don't know what they're going to do about the concessions and restaurants now because they are taking away the sugar mill in 10 days, which again, I think is absolutely just crap. But, uh, who knows? Maybe they'll put something in there great. I don't know. It just, it just saddens me. But remember, when you do go there, there is a, it is a historic site. So much of what you see is going to have human act, is going to show human activity. Um, the structures of the park that date back to the, you know, all the way to early civilizations. And then you could even see some 1950s era billboards with advertisements, um, the concrete walls. And then you'll, you know, the shell mounds underlie park structures from thousands of years of the Mayaka inhabiting the area. Uh, you'll even see the plantation area where the um, plantation used to run with the sugar mill operations. So, you know, when you are there, remember that you were not there first and leave it as you find it. So I think that's pretty cool. It's a really interesting park. It's a really cool park. I am, again, deeply saddened that they will not be having um, the Sugar Mill Restaurant. But if you're looking for something to do up in that area, do check out the De Leon State Park. It's uh, something you could make a fun day out of, regardless of the restaurant, but I just think that adds to the flair. Sorry. All right, the next park I'm going to talk, talk about is also in uh, northern Florida, and it's the Ravines Garden State Park. It's actually in Palatka. Sorry, y'all, it's about the only thing good in Palatka. Um, So, the Ravines Garden State Park is one of the nine new era deal state parks that are in Florida. And the cool thing about this park is is that it's just two ravines up to 120 feet deep with steep banks at almost 45 degree angles. And so, it's not a gully or a trench or a sinkhole. Um, These are permanent features. These were not caused by flooding. These are permanent features with a spring-fed creek that never dries up. And the creek is called Whitewater Branch. And the underground water bubbling um, cuts into the banks and carries the sand and soil all the way to the St. John's River. So the stream you see in the ravines goes actually all the way to the river. And, you know, these have been there for thousands of years, and they've widened and deepened, and you can see what they are today. And, of course, they've been there for, you know, thousands of years. But in 1933, they were transformed into the Dramatic Garden by the Federal Works Progress Administration. Um, You can still see some of the original landscaping, 
but it is a formal garden and a unique system of trails. I think this is actually one of the more beautiful parks. I think it's a, not as a well-known one. It is 152 acres in Palatka, and the ravines slope down. I mean, you're elevating 70 to 120 feet, which is massive for Florida since there's really no mountains or hills. Um, the natural vegetation ranges from bays, hollies, and azaleas to dogwoods, magnolias, oak, laurel oaks, and live oaks. And it depends on which part of the ravine you're at, the top or the bottom, as to which part of the vegetation you're going to see. Um, the vegetation is a mix of native and ornamentals, primarily azaleas, and a lot of these were introduced in the 1930s. Now, you're probably like Palatka, so I'll give you a little history on Palatka. In 1853, uh, Palatka was incorporated, and it was a growing trade center on the river and a prime spot for winter tourism, so thank you, snowbirds. And between 1865 and 1895, Palatka became known as the Gem City of the St. John's, and it was actually a major port that rivaled Jacksonville for dominance for trade on the river. Side note, that didn't last long. Palatka's golden age, it was booming. It was the area citrus and lumber industry, and trains would take agriculture products in and out of the city and it had many different railroads running right around it. But at the end of the 1800s, a major citrus freeze brought Palatka's golden age to an end. So end of the 1800s, citrus freeze, beginning of the 1900s, Great Depression. So by 1933, Palatka was suffering the effects of the Great Depression pretty hard. And a local part, it was, it was even said of Palatka that a prosperous community transformed by a depressing by depression into a section having many actual hungry and in desire and distress. So, you know, they were trying to think of anything to get Palatka back up and coming. And so tourism was kind of starting to be a thing, but it was still the Great Depression. So people didn't have the money or didn't, you know, know what to do or where to go. So Palatka actually thought that they should have something worthwhile for seeing like other Florida cities did. And the idea behind it was the ravine gardens. And so what did they do? They spruced it up. They developed these ravines um, around this little, you know, if you've been, you know, it's really pretty trails. You can see many of the plants, the actual gardens. And this was all from, you know, the idea that people needed to go to Palatka to see something. And they were officially opened on July 4th, 1933. And by the end of 1933, the activities become so extensive that people were actually surprised. Um, you know, they were surprised that the, the gardens were growing as much as they would, uh, most of Florida. So they grew them a little bit more and they gave up, you know, funding happened and Palatka kind of grew off this and promoted and maintained and developed the gardens. And the 1960s brought about a change in the park. Um, it actually closed in the 1960s. In 1969, the city actually offered the gardens to the state park system because they could not maintain it anymore. It was too expensive. So in 1970, the gardens were deeded to the Florida Internal Improvement Trust Fund and Ravine Gardens officially became a Florida state park. So one man's dream to keep a little town from dying is actually one of the really cool state parks that we have today in northern Florida. Now, of course, there are a lot of really interesting things to do. It's not a, I'll be honest, guys, it's not a huge park, um, but it's, it's gorgeous. 
It's so fun to walk around, and it's got some wild, uh, not wildlife, but nature views that you don't get to see in a lo- another other parts of Florida. So there are some trails. There's actually a 1.8 paved road that ri- winds around the ravine, offering motorists and bicyclists a view of the gardens. Um, you can't you can't drive it after what is it? I think it's an hour before sunset. There's a weird rule. But it, you can see it from you, the pedestrians, the bikes, the wheelchairs. They can continue on the trail. Just you can't drive it. I think it's an hour. I'll have to look that up. Um, and since it's only 1.8, there's actually a couple different trails. There's a Palatka to St. Augustine Trail um, just over the bridge in East Palatka that actually runs. It's a 12-foot-wide paved trail that runs through agricultural landscapes, and it's 19 miles. So you can actually ride your bike from Palatka to St. Augustine. Of course, being a Florida State Park, there is geocaching, um, the outdoor game that uses the GPS system to find caches and treasures and write little notes. Um, I think it's just something fun. But again, there's actually four level, uh, four hiking trails with different levels of difficulty. There's the ravine loop, which is the 1.8 that I told you that goes around the top of the ravine over the spring-fed stream. And the trail uh, has several overlooks that you can look down into the actual ravine. Um, it's easy. There are a couple steep elevation changes, not that many, but it's a pretty easy trail. There's the whitewater path, which is only about three-fourths of a mile, and that explores the bottom of the ravine uh, on dirt and gravel path um, from the old Platka Waterworks. And it goes to the springs that actually fed the, feed the whitewater branch, um, And the access to this trail is, again, on the Ravine Loop Trail. There's the Springs Trail, which is about a little over half a mile. It's a little bit more strenuous. Um, The Loop Trail follows a narrow ravine path over historic stone steps. And portions of of it circle the spring boils that form the actual whitewater branch. So steep slopes, exposed roots, slippery stones. If you're looking for something a little more strenuous, definitely check out the Azalea Trail. It's two and a half miles, and it features suspension bridges and beautiful views of the ravine. Exposed routes, narrow paths, steep elevation changes, and numerous stone steps make this trail a little bit more strenuous, but their views are amazing. Of course, you can take a picnic along the 1.8 paved ravine perimeter. Picnic tables and grills are there for anyone to use. This park is a really cool place. You can definitely do your reunions and gatherings. They do have an auditorium and a downstairs meeting room and a civic center. So if you're looking for a fun place to have an event or a meeting or a thing, a park a park event like a Christmas party, might want to check out the ravine if you're in that area. And, of course, there are tours. Uh, ranger-led guided hikes of different lakes uh, can be had. You can pay $2 and go on a tour. You have to request it for a minimum of three weeks in advance, and it has to be at least 10 people. So if you and nine other friends want to check out the ravine gardens together, everybody pays two bucks, and you can go and check this out. I think that would be really cool. I'm sure they have some really interesting um, tidbits and information, and they can point things out that you normally wouldn't see. And, of course, there's wildlife viewing. There's many types of wildlife that go through the park, um, the nature trails, the best times at this park is the early morning and then right before sunset. And you're likely to see all types. Squirrels, possums, skunks, fox, otters, fish. Of course, it's Florida, so alligators and turtles. You never really know what you're going to see. And, of course, there is an amphitheater. Um, 
1938, the local Jaycees transformed their Jaycees Day into the first official Azalea Festival, and the same year they built an amphitheater to host the Miss Florida Azalea pageant during the festival. And um, I don't know if they still do that festival, but they originally held it here, and the park has an amphitheater, uh, which is a scenic place to rest or shaded area for picnicking in the winter. And the stage comes alive with azalea blooms in the spring and summer. So that's kind of cool that there's like an actual amphitheater that you can go and hang out at. Now, of course, there's also gardens. The 146-acre park has formal and natural gardens. So natural vegetation is anywhere from the ferns and the mosses and the shrubs that you would see, especially in the hardwood forest with the oaks and the hickories, the pines, um, cypress trees. And then there are five acres of formal gardens with stone terraces and water features. Um, the peak, fla peak flowering time for azalea season is late January to early March. And 100 of azaleas have a rolling bloom and top out with 50 to 60% of plants blooming simultaneously. Um, you can also see the red buds and dogwoods bloom in this season. It is a historic site, so just keep that in mind when you're there. And you can use pets, or you can't, you can use pets, wow. You can bring pets with you so that they can enjoy and use the park with you. There is a playground, so if you have kids, might not be the worst thing. Um, but the review, the review, the rev God, I cannot do English today, guys. Just sorry about that. The Ravine Garden State Park is a fun place to enjoy in a small town in Florida that was just trying to survive. And it's beautiful. I cannot recommend this enough. I think it's great. Now, remember, it does get a little bit cold up there, so pick your times correctly. But definitely check out the Ravine Garden State Park. It's only maybe 30 minutes. Let's see, St. Augustine of Palatka. Yeah, like 30, 45 minutes from St. Augustine. So if you're in St. Augustine and you're hanging out and you're like, all right, I've done St. George Street, I've done the fort, I'm tired, I don't want to do this tomorrow, go check out the Ravine Garden State Park. You won't be disappointed. All right, guys, one more state park. And the last one I'm going to do is Judah P. Benjamin Confederate Memorial at Gamble Plantation Historic State Park. Why can they not have small names? All right, sorry, guys. This actual state park is located in Ellington, Florida. And it's an antebellum mansion that was home to Major Robert Gamble and the headquarters of an extensive sugar plantation. It is the only surviving plantation house in South Florida. And it is thought that Confederate Secretary of State Judah P. Benjamin took refuge here after the fall of Confederacy until he could leave for England. Jerk. Coward. Um, sorry. Okay, so, yep, that was his house. I mean, it's a really pretty house, and it is an important, it's, well, it's a piece of history. I can't say if it's important or not. Um, but it was built in, eight, well, in 1843, Major Robert Gamble Jr. established the sugar plantation along the Manatee River in a region that was remote from civilization. It actually took him six years to build, and he accumulated 3,500 acres. But thanks to natural disasters and sugar market, it drove him into debt by 1856, and he sold the plantation in 1859. At the end of the Civil War, the U.S. government ordered Confederate cabinet members to be arrested, and that included Judah P. Benjamin, Confederate Secretary of State. In fearing trial for treason, he escaped by traveling through Florida to a briefly sheltered at the mansion. He escaped and traveled to England where he became a barrister. And in 1925, the Daughters of Confederacy purchased the property and deeded it to the state of Florida. The Gamble Mansion 
and the Patton House have been restored to their appearance in its respective historical periods. So, you can go and visit this house. Um, it, I don't think this one's open year-round. So, the mansion is furnished in the style of mid-19th century plantations, and guided tours of the house are given six times a day, through Thursday through Monday. There are also picnic tables on the grounds. The visitor center is open from 9 to 11.45 and then 12.45 to 5, Thursday through Monday. It's closed Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. So this one is not open year-round. It does open at 8 a.m., though. There is no entrance fee. You do have to pay for the tours. So this is a historic site. Of course, it is a state park, so there are things to do other than look at a mansion. You can explore the park by doing geocaching. There are picnic tables available located behind the mansion so that you can take your own lunch and enjoy South Florida's wonderful weather year-round. And, of course, like I said, they do have a visitor center, and there are guided tours of the mansion. You can go any time, sorry, you can go six times a day, any time between at 9.30, 10.30, 1, 2, 3, and 4, and that's only Thursday through Monday. You can even get married at this location. It's great for outdoor weddings. I would not want to get married there, but that's just me. So it is a historic museum. Please keep that in mind. Um, since it is a guided tour and it is an old plantation, you have to be able to walk around the outdoors for 60 minutes. You have to be able to climb steps. Um, and, of course, since this was built back in the 1800s, the steps aren't like they are today. So it's a smaller park, um, and it's just, it's, I guess it's part of our history. It is worth seeing. It is a part of history, whether we want to admit it or not. It, there is some really pretty um, places on the grounds. You can see the immaculate ground. There's parts that are immaculate, of course, parts that you can see that are um, like nature, like they would have been back then. Um, yeah, I, I only talk about this because this is still part of history. And it is a lesser-known state park. And so if you are into the history of Florida, be it good or bad, Definitely go check out Judah P. Benjamin Confederate Memorial at Gamble Plantation Historic State Park. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. There is some a lot more just very cool, very interesting state parks, and this will not be my last state park episode. If you can't, you know, you're not really sure which one you want to go to, go to floridastateparks.org and pull up, just look at Find a Park. They have a statewide map, or they have ones where you can kind of edit, like, do you want to go to the beach? Do you want to go see like a historic site do you want to go on a nature trail so they have really cool and they also have their events that should kind of tell like what events are going on in the different parks um like today there's a seashell walk at fort myers or on lover's key at fort myers beach um you know they're like uh first weekend federal garrison day i know they have one of those in fernanda fernandina beach so, I mean, if you're looking for something to do and you're looking for something fun, go check out their event, play, event page so that you can, you know, maybe meet some new people, maybe learn some new stuff, maybe go outside and just take a walk. I definitely recommend looking at their page and definitely going to Florida State Parks because they are so interesting, diverse, and fun. There's literally something fun for everyone at all these state parks. Um, so, yeah, if you do go, be respectful. 
clean up after yourself, leave the park as you found it, and just remember to look out for the wildlife, wear your sunscreen, take your insect repellent, and be aware that Florida man stalks everywhere. Just remember that, guys. Florida man is everywhere, and Florida man probably also visits uh, the state parks. So today's Florida man comes from Port Ritchie, Florida. It was actually a man and a woman, so we have, we have two for today, the man and the woman, from both from Port Ritchie, Florida, were traveling in an SUV that was said to have been going 75 miles, or no, wait, well over 75 miles up the interstate near Forsyth, and they were pulled over by a sheriff's deputy in the early hours of August 4th. He said that he clocked them at the highest at 95 miles an hour, and he caught wind of an overwhelming smell of marijuana. The man who was in the car and the passenger stepped out, and the deputies found a small bag of weed and a small bag of white crack-like substance in the man's pocket. So when he asked the deputy, or the deputy asked the guy what it was, the man, he said, man, I don't even know. And he then apparently thought better of saying, being stupid, and goes, well, yeah, that's cocaine. So guys, watch out for Florida, man. They're out there. They're doing dumb things. I mean, at least this one had a, a smart idea to come clean about whatever he was doing. But just be careful. Watch out. I hope you guys have enjoyed this Florida State Parks part. I think it's five. I'll have to look back. And I hope you found somewhere new to explore, especially in the Panhandle, and something fun to do. Learned a little bit of history. I hope you guys have an amazing week. Don't forget to check out the poll and or question on Facebook and Instagram. Please, 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 if you have a second, a five-star review would be well appreciated. It helps get the podcast out there. I appreciate all of you who've uh, given five-star reviews on Spotify and Apple. You're all simply amazing. And for still listening to me ramble on about the Sunshine State. So, guys, I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. Happy Labor Day. Enjoy your three-day weekend. If you don't have a three-day weekend, I hope you get a day off just to have some rest somewhere in there. Be nice. Stay hydrated. Wear your sunscreen. And as always, guys, that's your daily dose of sunshine.